Good morning, Third Street. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Rachel. I'm married to Corey, and uh, I'm excited to be bringing you the word today. So what we've been doing here at Third Street is we've been making our way through a series called Provoked. The series is called Provoked because we've been looking at 1 Samuel chapters 1, and today we're going to get into chapter 2, where a woman named Hannah uh, is consistently provoked. She's provoked in a lot of different ways. Uh, we've looked at the, the dynamics and the relationships that are at play in Hannah's life. Those relationships are with her, uh, her husband, Elkanah. They're with his husband's second wife, Penina. Um, they are with a, uh, a priest named Eli. They are with her son, who ends up named Samuel, who this book uh, is all about. And then her relationship, uh, most importantly, to God. She's provoked in a lot of different ways on this journey, and so where we're going to dive in today, this is the last week of this series, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where Hannah offers up a beautiful prayer. This is a prayer that uh, Hannah's known for. Typically, if you've heard about Hannah, uh, if you've heard about Hannah in Scripture, you typically know two things about her. The first one is that she couldn't have a kid, and then she did, and then Hannah's prayer. Sometimes if you see, like if you, you know, if you shop in like a Christian bookstore or something, or if you've been to a women's conference, women, I know you've heard, pray like Hannah, right? It's one of the things that is said about her. Uh, it's one of those churchy phrases, right? Um, today we're going to learn what that means. What does it mean to pray like Hannah? And so uh, we're going to jump into 1 Samuel chapter 2 right now. And as we're entering this text... As we're entering this prayer, what I want you to remember is that we are back at Shiloh. Shiloh is the place where Hannah has consistently been provoked. Hannah, uh, Shiloh is the place where Penina, where Penina, scripture, it says she taunted her severely just to provoke her, right? She flaunted all of her children in front of Hannah when Hannah was childless. Shiloh is the place where Hannah prayed with such fervor that she, the words were not even able to be heard by people and she got called a drunk at the altar and she's like, that's not who I am. Shiloh is a place that has held such pain for Hannah. It's where she's encountered so much. But remember what we learned about her last week. At the end of chapter one, we learned that Hannah had sought God so honestly and so openly that it changed her life and the life of those around her. At the point where she offers this prayer, she's gained not only the adoration, but the respect of her husband. And she's conceived a son. Hannah, at this point, has given birth to Samuel. She's raised him up. Scripture says she's weaned him, and now she's back. She's back at Shiloh. And it says that she's ready to follow through and make good on the promise that she made to God. The promise that she made to God was that if he gave her a son, that she would offer that son back to God and that he would be raised in Shiloh in God's temple. So let's read these words. 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. 
There is no one besides you, and there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving, they hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seeks them with noblemen and he gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will not give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. And then Elkanah went home to Ramah. But the boy served the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. This is a stunning prayer that Hannah offers. It is absolutely beautiful. And it is so rich in theology that is confirmed all throughout scripture. If you were to look up Hannah's prayer and, and read about it, there are theologians that actually regard Hannah's prayer as setting the tone for the future of the kingship that immediately follows in the nation of Israel. Hannah's Hannah's prayer here, if you actually look at the way that it's written, it's written as a poem, and it's, and it's reflected in some of the psalms that David later writes, and many people actually also line this up with uh, Jesus' mother Mary's prayer that she offers later. This prayer that is said and recorded by Hannah sets a huge tone for the future of Israel. This is a woman's prayer that is, that is written down and regarded. But we could do an entire study just on that. We could do an entire summer study. If you all want to learn about that, we'll do Hannah's prayer next summer. I will happily do that because I only got like 30 minutes and we can't get into all of it. But there's, there's something that really struck me as I was reading this prayer and thinking about it in light of what we've talked about in the last four weeks. And so what I really want to discuss today is actually the posture of Hannah as she's offering these words. So the first thing I want us to, to note is that Hannah at no point talks about Samuel, right? This is a woman who we have been taught about as a woman who couldn't have a child, and then she did, and that's so miraculous. And so if this is called Hannah's triumphant prayer, where was that? She talks about childlessness. 
She says the childless woman bears seven. But at the point in which Hannah says this, she only has Samuel. And by the way, she doesn't go on to have seven kids. You can keep reading in scripture. She has a few more. I think she has five after this. So what Hannah's talking about when she says childlessness, she's not referencing herself. She's referencing women as a whole. Where's Hannah in this triumphant prayer? Right? If she's triumphant, and, and in chapter 1, it says she's on her knees weeping at the altar, and then this is triumphant, shouldn't she be talking about her triumph? Right? Shouldn't, shouldn't she be talking about the obvious victory to everyone, which is that she showed back up at Shiloh with the kid? That would make the most sense. But the focus of this prayer is who God is. She focuses on his character, on his works, on his victories, on his judgment. She makes no mention of herself. She also makes no mention of Panina. She's not in her prayers subtweeting her enemy. She's not like, oh God, if you would just humble Panina. She's not bringing her pettiness into this. She's also not praying about her husband. We don't see Elkanah mentioned by name. We know he's caused deep hurt. We read about it in chapter 1. That's not the stuff she's bringing here. This triumphant prayer is focused on who God is because the true victory for Hannah in this moment was not getting what she wanted. It was gaining a relationship with God. Let me say that again. The true triumph of Hannah in this passage is not getting what she wanted. It's getting the fullness of who God is and the difference that that made in her life. What would it look like in your life if your triumphs were not about you winning or getting what you wanted, but it was about you getting God? How much would that change your perspective and what you're seeing? And so how did she do that? How did she get more of who God was? How did Hannah get that relationship? We actually get that answer. And we get that answer by flipping a page backwards and going back to chapter 1. So let's go back to chapter 1, to verse 10, because we get to see Hannah pray more than once. If you remember 1 Samuel 1, verse 10, it says, Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. And making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of heaven's armies, if you will take notice of your servant's afflictions, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. There's so much in that statement. It's not a weird thing, I promise. We can look at that in summer study or something. While she continued praying, in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Let me say that again. Hannah was praying silently. And though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I have been pouring out my heart 
before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I have been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. That's some wildly different emotions from the start of chapter 2, is it not? It says that she was deeply hurt. She was praying with many tears. She was pleading. She was brokenhearted. She was pouring out her heart, and she was praying from the depth of her anguish and resentment. And then the very, very first sentence in chapter 2 says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. You want to know how Hannah gained that relationship with God? It was by being brutally honest with him. It was by sitting before him and laying the depth of her grief in front of him. It was by recognizing that God is just as present down in the valleys as he is on the mountaintop. It was recognizing that your feelings are not the driver of God. It was recognizing that God is bigger than any emotion that you might be feeling. Your emotions are valid. Your feelings are valid. But God's there in the crap just as much as he is in the best moments of your life. God is in both. And what I want you to remember most importantly from the comparison of these two prayers is that one prayer is not better than another. But one prayer certainly leads to another. One prayer is not better. Just because somebody, sometime when the Bible was canonized, decided to label chapter 2 Hannah's triumphant prayer, that does not make it better because I don't know if you know this, but there were no chapters or subtitles in scripture when it was written. When Samuel wrote this, none of that was there. That was some dude when the Bible was canonized that was like, this feels triumphant. And so he labeled it. Right? One prayer isn't better than another. But one prayer certainly leads to another. Hannah's grieving and pleading and anguish are not worse than her triumphant words. And Hannah's triumphant words are not more worthy of being said or remembered than her weaker moments. The reason you don't got the prayers from chapter 1 is because it said it was silent. Nobody could hear it. Hannah's longer prayer is not holier than the shorter one, and Hannah's recorded prayer is not better than the one where she was distraught. How do we know? Because in the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus tells us not to shout our prayers on the corners like the Pharisees because they have received all of the reward that they will ever get. And then he goes on to sing the Lord's Prayer, which our worship team sang in song number one. Right? Jesus says, you don't need to shout them. You don't need to stand on the corners. You don't need to have everybody know that you're praying. That's not the point. And how do I know that our weak prayers matter? Because in Romans, in the book of Romans, Paul writes, and he says, when we don't have the words, the Holy Spirit goes and groans and speaks on our behalf in utterance and petitions before, and petitions before the Lord. Both prayers matter. Both prayers matter. And when we pray those deeply hurt prayers and we go honest before God, we give him the opportunity to amaze us. Because when we speak like that, he already knows. 
He already knows what's happening in your life, but all of a sudden you've laid it before him. I'm gonna tell you right now as a parent, I know what my kids are feeling before they say it. But when they sit in front of me and have an open and honest conversation, suddenly I can be like, baby girl, it's okay. Sit with me. Let's figure this out together. Let me be part and help you. And then all of a sudden we can work together. We've been sitting in our house this week with Sarah amazed and because there's been things that she's been praying for that have been happening and I've been like tapping her on the knee and I'm like Sarah do you remember we prayed for that at bedtime do you remember and I'm like connecting the dots for her because I'm getting to see God work in her life like that when you take those things before God and you are honest with him you give him the opportunity to amaze you and you know what you know what's really amazing about chapter two is that Hannah gives God praise on the mountaintop too. Because God deserves praise on the mountaintops as well. We don't just go to him when we need something. We go to him and we're like, God, you did that. You did that. That's amazing. And all of a sudden that triumph is so different because it's not about, oh, thank you, God, you gave me what I wanted, like your birthday, right? When you open a present, you're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I put this in your Amazon cart and hit save for later. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did that to my husband once for a birthday. Um, it's not the same. You're standing there at the mountaintops and you're like, oh my gosh, God, you cared. You're so good. You're so good, you cared about that and thank you for caring about that. And all of a sudden the praise is so much more about who God is because you're amazed that the God of the universe cared. And your amazement is suddenly not at, oh my gosh, thank you for doing what I wanted. Your, your amazement is at, oh my gosh, you heard me. Those are such different things. So, something I I've, I've, have not talked about here but some of you guys might know about me is I, love hiking. I love hiking. It's something that I just really enjoy. Um, it was like, I, I picked up this hobby like eight months ago. So it's still fairly new, right? We're like low-key still in the honeymoon phase, me and hiking. Um, but, I, but I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. And in the last eight months, I was actually trying to tally for you like a number of miles because I was like, oh, that would be a fun stat to give. I hate numbers. And I have not written it down, and I got really sick of going through, like, my phone and being like, oh, that one was, I think, 10 miles, and that one was, like, I got tired of tallying it, so a lot, a lot. We've done a lot of miles <laughs> in eight months, um, but one of the things that has really come to life for me and being on the trails is this imagery that Scripture uses when it talks about the mountaintops and the valleys, See, we are all in Northeast Ohio, and so we have a lot of hills, but we don't have mountains. And so in my brain, I knew what, what mountaintops and valleys were. Because I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I grew up in Perry and like the top of Jackson Avenue, like you really see a lot. Got a good view in the fall, those trees look really cool. I understand mountains and valleys. I did not. So, all right, can, we, can you put up the picture of the valleys? Okay, so I took these pictures. The, left, the one on the left um, was a valley. This was out west. This was Ice House Canyon. Um, and then on the right here, uh, this is Jamie. <laughs> that little, like, dot is Jamie. Um, 
I just like that picture of her next to the big tall trees. These are valleys. So what valleys look like? When you're in a valley, you cannot see the rest of the trail. When you're in a valley, everything is blocked by all the trees around you. This valley on the left in this mountain, like where we were at, there's tons of rock everywhere. So like you have to be careful where you step so you don't twist your ankle or something. And I, I don't know about you, but I can't see like where that's turning or like what that's gonna look like when you get around the turn. Because when you're in that valley, you can only see what's right in front of you. When you're in that valley, you have to have the faith that that trail keeps going. You have to have the trust that when you get around that corner, you're going to be able to keep going on that trail. You have to trust that the rest of the trail is there. Everything is covered. You cannot see. And so when scripture talks about living in these valleys, that's what they're talking about. Do you trust God enough to believe him that the path forward is still there? Do you trust God enough to believe him that what's around that corner is good? Are you going to stay paralyzed and be like, those rocks look like a lot? Are you going to stand there paralyzed like, ooh, when I get around that corner, I hear water? And I don't know what's there, so I'm going to stay right here. Because let me tell you, if you stay right there, you don't get the view. If you stay right there, you don't get that feeling when you made it to the top and you're like, wow, I made it that far. You also don't get to see what's around the corner. You know what was around the corner from that place on the left? A waterfall. If I'd have sat there, I wouldn't have gotten to see it. Can you go to the next one? This is a mountaintop. It's a little hard to see on our screens, um, but <laughs> there's actually depth in that photo. Uh, <laughs> There's, you can see all these different peaks around here on the left. There's all these dips. You can see the trail. If you turn around backwards it, here, you can see the trail that you've come from winding through. In a mountaintop view, you get that perspective. So when Scripture talks about being up on the mountains, when Scripture talks about standing up there and, say, and, and seeing clearly, when it talks about being with God on the mountaintops, the mountaintops give you perspective. When you're on the mountaintop, you're like, oh, I remember what was in that valley. You have that feeling of like, I got through that. And wow, this is what was waiting for me. This is what was up there. I remember I had a, uh, I had a, like a spiritual mountaintop moment when I was standing on that mountaintop. I'll tell you why. Um. This, this specific hike that I was on um, came right after uh, I had finally gotten released from eye surgery. Some of y'all have been on this journey with me. I talked about this uh, last Christmas as I was going into surgery. That hike was in the spring. I finally made it out of recovery last Last fall, my retina detached, and I lost all eyesight in my left eye. When I was a little kid, I had an accident with my eye. An accident. I have a brother. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, I lost eyesight in my left eye. But, it, but after some surgeries and some things as a kid, I, I could see just like a little bit. I could discern enough 
meant for my left eye that my balance wasn't off. But last fall, last fall, I was just standing in my family room, and I went totally blind in my left eye. I wasn't, I wasn't even doing anything I shouldn't have been doing. I was literally just standing, my husband is my witness. Um, and my, my retina detached. I literally stumbled backwards and like fell in a chair and was like, I have no idea what just happened, but I can't see. That's a crazy moment. That's a, that's a crazy moment, especially when you've had like the journey with eyesight that I've had as a kid. And I remember after I got released from surgery, I was really hopeful that surgery was going to heal me, um, that I was going to be able to see. Uh, and I only, I got, I got a little bit back, but not back to what it was. And I remember I was standing on that mountaintop and when I saw everything, when I saw everything that I could see, I started sobbing. I literally started sobbing. Because one of the things that happens when you lose eyesight in one eye, your other eye starts overcompensating. So, so my right eye, which had had perfect eyesight my whole life, was taking a hit on this journey. And something I hadn't said out loud, because when you say things out loud, they're real. I hadn't said it to anyone. I, even said it. I hadn't even said it to Corey. Something, a fear that I held in my heart was I was going to lose sight in my right eye as well. And when I was standing on that mountaintop, I couldn't believe that I could see it. And I remember, those were all my coworkers that I was with, and um, I started crying, and, and one of them looked at me, and she's like, are you Okay. Because like, I'd never been on a hike, so I think she thought I was scared. Uh, like, I'd never, I'd never done one like that, right? I'd done our Ohio mountains, like, you know, Jackson Avenue. And uh, um, this was a real one. And, and so I was standing there, and I started crying. And she said, are you okay? And I was like, I literally said, God, if you let me continue to see, I will look for the rest of my life. Because I couldn't believe that I got to see that, and that I could. That's a mountaintop. I'd been battling with God for months. I was so mad at him when I lost sight in my left eye. I was so mad. I literally remember praying. I mean, Corey remembers. I was sitting in, in my office at home, and I was like, I, I can't freaking believe this. Why? Why would he take the sight from my left eye? Why would he let that happen? And I... I battled with him over that. It was a long journey. And when I stood on that mountaintop and I could see, I was so thankful for my right eye. Because God deserves praise in the mountaintops too. He doesn't want, just want your list at the bottom because he's good. And we've been on a journey, he and I. We've been on quite a journey but those mountaintop moments, you've got to be able to look back. You've got to be able to look back and be like, God, you're so good. Because look at this. Because look at it. And since then, I was like, God, I'll take my kids to see your whole green earth. And we've been all over the place. We've been everywhere. I think me and hiking might make it outside of the honeymoon phase. I think, I think this might be a long-term relationship that we have. Um, but really and truly, like, I thought about, like, in prepping for this, I, I could not not tell you that story because it's the same thing. It's that weeping in the valley. It's the utterances. It's the, like, God, why would you do this? 
And then the perspective of looking back and being like, but look how far we've come. Where in your life do you need to give God that mountaintop praise? Because Hannah went back to him when it was good. And it wasn't even about her. Where have you maybe made it a little bit about you? And listen, don't beat yourself up over it. We've all done it. We're humans. Read the Bible. Like, everybody makes it about them at some point. But it's that point of realization and going back and saying, God, where did I make it about me but this was about you? Because I definitely made my eyesight about me. I very much made it a woe is me. But man, how much has he sustained me? How much can I still do? Where have you made it a little bit about you? But listen, we, there's, one more, there's one more thing that I want, I want us to learn about Hannah and her prayer. And actually, I don't even want to paraphrase it. I want to give you just the straight up quote. I was reading this book. It's called Lost Women of the Bible by Carolyn Custis James. She's talking about Hannah in this book. And what she says, she says, God isn't the only one listening to our prayers. Prayer is a way of talking to ourselves. God isn't the only one listening to our prayers. Prayer is a way of talking to ourselves. Because when we pray, when we pray, we get the opportunity to also remind ourselves of truths about God. In chapter 2, where it calls calls this Hannah's triumphant prayer, what did we say in the very beginning? She didn't make it about her and Samuel and the baby. She made it about who God was and how good God is. What she did in that prayer is she's reminding herself of the character of God. When we pray, especially if you, if you follow Jesus' model, when he says, when you pray, pray like this, the very first thing he does is remind himself where God is located. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Prayer is just as much talking to you and reminding yourself that God is bigger than whatever is happening to you. God is bigger than whatever somebody is doing that is angering you. God is bigger than the mountain in front of you. How do I know? Because he's got the mountaintop view. He's got the perspective of the valley, right? God is in both spaces equally. And I think so much about what Hannah was actually doing when she said these words. When she said these words in chapter 2, remember, it said she had just showed back up at Shiloh. Why did she show back up at Shiloh? Because she was about to leave Samuel there. This is the son that she had prayed for. It's the only kid she had at that point. And she was about to leave him there. I can't even leave Jamie at preschool. And that's for three hours. This was for the rest of his life. So she's standing there, and she's praying, and she's saying who God is. She's reminding herself who she's leaving her son with. She's reminding herself the character of the person who's about to be caring for her son. She's reminding herself of all that God has done and will continue to do 
to give her the confidence to leave him there. And if I had to guess, Samuel was probably standing there with her. Because when we pray, it's not just about us. There's people listening. Keep in mind this prayer is recorded. We have the words to this one. So Samuel was probably there to be like, yeah, that's what my mom said. Eli was probably there to write it down. Because if I had to guess, Samuel probably wasn't old enough to write at this point. He might have been. He might have been super smart. Some kids are real smart, real young. Right? He might have been able to do it. But there were witnesses. So Samuel, as well, is listening to the prayers of his mom. Giving him confidence that it's okay to stay. It's okay to be here. Because our kids and the people around us, they listen. How do we know they listen? Well, Eli told her she was drunk earlier. And then Eli was standing here to receive Samuel. People are listening. This prayer isn't just for you. This is our reminder of who God is, how big he is. It's an opportunity to take a perspective of who it is that we're praying to into the prayers that we're praying. And so I want to I wanna leave you with one final thought, one final question to carry into your week as we're praying. What are your prayers saying to the people who are listening? What are your prayers saying to the people around you who hear them? Do they show your faith? Do they show more about who God is? Because we learn some on Sunday mornings, right? That's why we show up. And our kids, if you got kids in the classes, they learn some on Sunday mornings. But it's those moments through the week when you're with people that's where people pick up the most. So what are your prayers saying to the people who hear them? Because Hannah's prayers said so much. And we don't have to pray quite as eloquently as she did. I usually don't. But what did we learn today? It doesn't matter what the words are. It doesn't matter how long they are. It doesn't matter how many you say. And actually, it doesn't even matter if you say any. Are you comfortable enough to be vulnerable with God? Because I promise you that he is listening and he cares and he is moving just as much in those valleys as he is up on the mountains. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for how deeply you care. We thank you for the fact that you do care. So, Father, I pray that each and every one of us who are here today can move forward confidently in our prayer life. Lord, I pray that each one of us can speak uh, with full authority knowing that you listen, that you listen in both spaces the same. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and it's in the precious name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.